Welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. Um, it's another good week. We had a great Holy Week, um, great Easter celebration. I hope you were able to be a part of your local church and enjoy that. Um, our Easter here at Jonesville was um, exciting. It was refreshing. Um, we had someone get baptized. We had another um, person get saved even. Uh, so all very exciting things. And so we'll have some more baptisms coming up. Um, and so God, God is moving. You know, in our society right now, things can feel um, depressive and um, people are normally very anxious and there's a lot of negativity generally going around. Um, but God is still moving. He is still working. And if you look for him, if you're paying attention to the spirit, you will see and be excited and be encouraged. Um, I am. I see it in the midst of all the chaos that abounds in our society and in our world. And so today we're going to continue talking about um, the book of John and Jesus's life and ministry. And see, when Jesus came on the scene, the world was just as chaotic. There was a lot of unrest everywhere. Um, culture unrest, political unrest. Um, the, the Romans had subjugated most of the world. Unfortunately, uh, they allowed Israel to somewhat rule themselves, but even so, there was always a fear of what the Romans might do as the ones in power. And Jesus came on the scene, and he, he came as the Messiah, as the King of Kings, which, you know, carried its own challenges. Definitely, definitely did. But today we're going to talk about the people that believed Jesus. And primarily, you know, the people that, that Jesus sought out are the people that um, sought out Jesus and, and wanted to know who he was and, and their reactions to Jesus. So we're going to be looking at John chapters 3 and 4. So this week is going to be more of a survey of the text. Um, so I encourage you to go back in and, and read both chapters and really dig into it and discover um, the truth about those texts for yourself. Um, and I'm going to kind of skip through three a little bit because a few weeks ago, um, if you go back and you look at the sermon um, that I gave to the whole church, um, it was primarily on John chapter three. Um, so I don't want to cover a lot of ground that's recently already been covered on this podcast. All right. So let's set the scene. Jesus is in Cana in Galilee, and he has at the wedding, turned the water into wine. He's cleansed the temple, all of which happened in chapter 2. And in the midst of this, and he's showing himself to people, and he's performing signs, and people are believing in him, one of the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, comes up and wants to talk to him, talk to this teacher who clearly is from God. So look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so notice something here. Nicodemus says, we believe you. So he's not the only Pharisee that has seen and decided to believe that Jesus is from God. He hasn't made a decision on whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, 
but he knows that Jesus is from God. And that's really important because ultimately the Pharisees were the ones that put Jesus to death. Really interesting. Of course, we find out later that Nicodemus did decide that Jesus was the Messiah and even helped bury Jesus in the tomb. So, but they meet on the rooftop. They meet on a rooftop at night. And so this was a moral Jewish man who wants to know, why did God send you Jesus? And Jesus said, I came so that people would know how to be born again. And obviously Nicodemus is like, born again, how can you be born twice? Must I go back into my mother and come out? No, it's physically impossible, right? But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Just like you were physically born, you must also be spiritually born. There must be a cleansing within your life. And so he explains to Nicodemus why he's there and his mission that God sent him to the world to save the world from sin. So that there would be salvation for all of mankind who would just call on the name of Jesus and believe and through salvation be enabled for good works. And then he explains but people, most people, are not going to turn to it because people love darkness, they love sin, more than they love light, more than they love God, more than they love honoring God with their life. And so they're not going to, all of them, want what I have to give them. They're not all of them are going to believe on the message and act on it because they love themselves too much. And so he explains all of this. And so it doesn't tell us exactly how Nicodemus um, reacts to this information. It's not until later on in scripture that we see that Nicodemus became one of Jesus's um, followers. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he did follow Jesus and he even helped bury Jesus, um, which is pretty remarkable in the sense that I don't know that he publicly stood up to the rest of the Pharisees, um, but he still honored and revered Jesus as not just a teacher, but as the Messiah. And so we keep moving, and um, Jesus is baptizing in the River Jordan, and John the Baptist is baptizing also, and his disciples get all worried about it. John says, no, 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 he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he needs to do the baptizing. I came to preach that he was coming. And so now that he's come, uh, my time is almost over. And so it's okay that he becomes popular. It's okay that people start turning to him, and that it's okay that I become less popular, because... My whole life has been about the fact that Jesus is coming. Is your life about that fact? As you read John chapter 3, um, you see where John's focus is. And it's not selfish. It's not on himself. It's totally on God and what God is trying to do through him. right? And so then we move to John chapter 4. So the Pharisees have been hearing that Jesus has been baptizing and it's not Jesus's time to confront the rulers just yet. All right, so let's read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. All right, so he leaves Judea and he goes back to Galilee. All right, and in order to get back to Galilee, he cut through Samaria. Now, if you understand anything about um, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were like mortal enemies. 
you see, the Jews were considered to be purebloods, right? So these were the Jewish families of the Jewish nation that um, never married um, outside of their culture, right? Which is what God told them to do. He said, don't marry yourself to foreigners unless they have joined and assimilated into Jewish culture. Well, the Samaritans were those that um, mated over the centuries with the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would have been like the Babylonians, right? And so um, they were mortal enemies because um, there was deep-seated um, racism between the two people. They did not associate with each other whatsoever. And because of that, the Samaritans were not welcomed to the Jewish temple, but they still worshiped God. And so they made their own places of worship on a mountain. And so in particular, Jesus cuts through Samaria. He comes to this town called Sychar, uh, which is near the property that Jacob had given Joseph. So if you go all the way back to Genesis, this is exactly where Jacob and Joseph had really been. And so Jesus meets this woman at the well. His disciples are not around. And culturally, this would have been seen as um, almost a culture taboo because it was inappropriate for men and women who were not married to um, talk to each other. It was considered inappropriate. Um, it, it crossed some boundaries there because um, it could lead to temptation or it could lead to people assuming that something happened that really didn't. So Jesus goes to this well and, this, and he tells the woman, please get me some water, right? And she goes, oh, wait a second, you're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? Why, how can you even ask me for water? You know who I am. And Jesus says, you wouldn't ask me that if you really knew who I was. And he explains to her that he knows everything about her life. He explains to her that he offers eternal life and he calls it this living water. And he said, if you knew what you were asking, you would be asking a different question. You would be asking me for living water. You would be asking me to be cleansed. And if you drink from this water, you will never thirst again. That's remarkable. And so coming from the last story that we read about Jesus is talking to a moral Jewish man who sought Jesus out and Jesus reveals the truth to him. Jesus sought out an immoral Samaritan woman had been married five times and was currently just living with her boyfriend okay all these immoral sexual relationships he seeks her out and reveals the truth to her Nicodemus we don't see his reaction but the Samaritan woman we do see her reaction and so how does she react to this news she gets saved and not only that she is unafraid to talk about Jesus and spread the gospel to all of her friends, her family, her neighbors in this town. And the town comes and surrounds Jesus and they listen to him and have a relationship with him for two days. And at the end of it, they say, at first we believed because of what she said, but now we believe because we have listened to Jesus and we know who he is. And this whole town gets saved and they believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's remarkable.
And the disciples see all of this and they don't get it. They don't really understand. And Jesus says, if you understood, you would know, because they're trying to offer Jesus food. And he says, salvation for people is more important than even eating. My purpose here is not to fill my stomach. My purpose here is to cleanse people with eternal life by giving them the truth and helping them to see the need for true repentance and for turning their lives back around towards God. And he's not saying that we should starve ourselves, obviously, but he is making a greater point that our priorities have to be in place. We have to keep them straight. And first things come first, and eating ranks lower than preaching Jesus. Can you say the same about yourself and your life? Are you more concerned with eating or anything else? I mean, anything that comes before that, clearly Jesus is saying is wrong. It's totally wrong. Everything belongs in its proper place here. Okay. All right. And so then he leaves there and he goes, well, guess what? He goes back to Galilee. He's making these trips back and forth. You understand? And you might ask, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just accomplish what he needed to do at each place at one time and just be done with it? But see, Jesus was all about timing. And he was not on a normal schedule, but he was on a schedule of divine appointments. Jesus didn't just happen to meet Nicodemus on the rooftop. God was behind that encounter. And Jesus didn't just happen to meet the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus knew she was going to be there and knew he had to talk to her. That was a divine appointment. And now he's headed back to Cana of Galilee. So check out um, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. It says, he, uh, there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he had, uh, was about to die. And Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And while he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So... The text doesn't make this clear to us 2,000 years later, but when you look at the history of it, you look at the locations that are being referenced here, you'll understand that this politician traveled 20 miles just to meet with Jesus. He knew that Jesus was coming. He had certainly heard, and he was like, I have to be there. My son is dying. So he travels 20 miles just to meet him. Now, we don't actually know if this man was Jewish or not, which is also kind of important, right? Because if you read more of the New Testament, you know that the disciples didn't totally get the fact that Jesus came for all people, not just the Jews. And that was a point of contention even among the early church, because some of them felt that the Jews were the only ones deserving of salvation, and that to be saved through Jesus meant you had to become Jewish. And Jesus 
obviously here, because a, a lot of people assume that he's actually not Jewish. He probably wasn't. If he was a politician, he was on Herod's court. He was probably more associated with the Roman Empire. And so, whether he was Jewish or not, Jesus came to save him and his son anyway. And so this, faith, this man's faith caused him to travel to probably walk or ride on a horse or a donkey or something for 20 miles. Rough trip. Okay? And so he gets to Jesus and he insists, Jesus, you have to come back because if you don't come, my son will die. So he has faith, but he still doesn't understand God or Jesus. And he has two misconceptions that we need to confront here while we're looking at this text. See, he believed that Jesus had to be right beside his son. And he believed that if his son died before Jesus acted, then it was going to be too late. But God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And Jesus was God. And so Jesus basically said, you are seeing it backwards. Seeing is not true believing. Believing is seeing. Have faith that I can do this and it will happen. And so he tells the man, your son will live. Go home. So the man, he starts making his way home and he discovers through his servants who were so excited that they ran to meet him that his son was healed at the exact moment in time that Jesus spoke, your son will live. See, the miracles of God, there's a lot of people today that are so, they believe that if God would just show them a miracle, that they would just drop everything and, and believe God and their entire life would be changed. But and, and yes, miracles are designed to help us have faith. But Jesus is saying, no. Belief, faith, has to come first. When we insist that we can't believe in God without miracles, it's kind of like saying that you want God to be your slave. You want him to be your genie. I wish... God, that you would do this, and if you do this, then I'll just believe. As if we're doing God a favor. That's not right. That's not biblical. Too many people try and treat God that way. And maybe they don't think about that, but that's the way that their life speaks to it. So instead, we have to hold on to the fact that the God of the universe will always do what is right. So what was the man's reaction then to Jesus' words? You've got your faith backwards. Go home. Your son will live. The man chose to act in faith and believe Jesus, even when it was counterintuitive to his own thoughts. And so he went home by himself without Jesus. And before he even got home, his servants give him the news that his boy was instantly healed and the entire household believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So here's some things that we can pull from these stories about the people that Jesus affected. You see, Jesus came for all people from all walks of life and for all time. His power over time, over space, they revealed the fact that he was 100% God. 
So we talked about this last week. He was a 100% God and 100% man. That doesn't totally make sense to us right now, but we can know that that is the truth because that is what the Bible teaches. And so this noble man, he came to Jesus in the midst of a crisis of faith. He believed, but the crisis was ruling his anxious and depressed thoughts. But he left after his time with Jesus, confident, sure in his faith. And his faith was contagious and that it spread to his entire household. See, Jesus loves you and he wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to show you what living life really looks like. But to do that, this requires trusting Jesus's words and authority over and above everything. And Jesus said that his words and authority are not just the red letters in your Bible, but it's the entire Bible because all of it comes from God. And if Jesus is 100% God and seeing how he treated all of scripture, we know that we can trust what the Bible has to tell us. It's really important. So where's your faith? Is it non-existent? Do you still need to give your faith and life to Christ? Are you in a crisis of faith? You believe God, but you limit God in what you think he can do or will do? Or are you confident in your faith? Is it contagious to the people around you? Take stock of where you're at and let God guide you into a deeper, more profound, more authentic faith than you've ever had before. Encountering Jesus causes that. Having a relationship with God causes that. When you grab hold of that and you see the power that that causes in your life and the abundance of life that you now have, you'll be amazed. It'll be worth the effort and the journey. And life, instead of becoming uh, chaos, it will turn into a great adventure. I love you. I'm praying for you. Thank you again for tuning in to the Living Worship Podcast. Um, if you're on YouTube, please like, share, subscribe, uh, comment, please. Um, I really want to hear from all of you. I enjoyed the comments that I've already gotten. And if you are listening on any of the audio platforms, because at this point I'm on everything, um, please, you know, give me a five-star rating, um, leave a review. Um, that All of those things will just help the algorithm so that uh, word continues to get out of what God is doing through this podcast and through the youth ministry here at Jonesville Baptist Church. All right, thank you again, and uh, have a nice Thursday.